On April 24th, 1955, Toho released Gojira no Gyakushin just five months after the wide release of Godzilla. After the financial success of the first film, executive producer Iwao Mori instructed production began immediately on a sequel directed by journeyman Motoyoshi Oda. The film's title can be literally translated as Godzilla's Counterattack, but today is largely known internationally as Godzilla Raids Again. The return of Godzilla in France and Belgium, Godzilla's return in Germany, the King of the Monsters in Italy and Spain, Godzilla the Sea Monster in Yugoslavia, and finally, Gigantus the Fire Monster in America. Today on GoGo Godzilla, we'll be discussing everything that went into making it, whatever you want to call it. Welcome to Go Go Godzilla. I'm Emily Schmelly. I'm Victor Perfecto. And I'm Justin Kizan. As you heard in the intro, today we're discussing Godzilla Raids again. This is the second film in the Showa series and the second film overall in the Godzilla franchise. Justin, why don't you give us a rundown of the plot of this film? Sure. Shortly after the emergence of a second Godzilla, a new creature arises to terrorize people of Japan in Gyudis. The two monsters duke it out in the streets of Osaka, destroying a castle and largely disrupting the lives of Soichi Tsukioka. Tsukioka, you got it. Thank you. Koji Kobayashi. Noted party boy. (laughs) He's a party boy to Kobayashi. Yeah. (laughs) And Hidemi Yamaji. Hidemi Yamaji. Hidemi Yamaji. Employees of a local fish cannery. Godzilla kills Ingidus along with the cannery's entire fleet before following heroes to Hokkaido. After some time, Godzilla re-emerges in which Tsukioki... Tsukioya? Tsukioka. Tsukioka. Yeah, I'm not as good as you on this one. Kobayashi and the military search for Godzilla... The search leads to the death of Kobayashi, which ultimately leads to Godzilla being buried in ice in a joint effort by the JSDF and Tsukioka. So let's talk about how this movie got made. Um, the first, Fast. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Ridiculously quickly. We mentioned in the intro, five months, five and a half, if you want to be generous, <laughs> was the turnaround time between this film getting greenlit and this film uh, being released in theaters. In November of 1954, a welcome home party was thrown for Iwamori. Iwaomori. Who had been overseas when Godzilla premiered. He essentially, it seems like, based on all accounts you read, got off the plane, went to this welcome party, welcome home party, and said, okay, so let's start the sequel. Just gave him the marching orders to Tomiyuki Tanaka. It's like, we, we're doing this. Yeah. The very first Godzilla movie is a very thoughtful, you know, it's, a, it's an anti-nuclear polemic, and it's thoughtful, and it's all those these things that elevated past being a B-movie. But like I mentioned in the first episode, even with all the adults feeling those emotions the children were there for godzilla so already like, like despite the the deep message of it you it was inescapable they struck gold and like and mori was not gonna run from gold yeah so because he went so fast into production mm-hmm. funny enough director uh, ishiro honda and kiri kubube actually wasn't available to make the movie yeah they had both moved on to other projects after godzilla and no one at toho was interested in waiting for them to do godzilla too. <laughs> get the godzilla out there yeah. but luckily toho had a hatchet man 
They had a dude on staff who's the one who just make this stuff happen. Yeah, Motoyoshi Oda, who at one point bragged that he had made five movies in a year. Uh, <laughs> he stepped in to replace Honda, and interestingly enough, this was not the first time that he had stepped up out of Honda's shadow, so mm. to speak. <laughs> no, they, they studied together under uh, Kajiro Yamamoto. Mm-hmm. Mm. At uh, Photochemical Laboratories, which was sort of the predecessor to Toto, a company that was absorbed by Toho or became Toho, depending on which source you read. Them and uh, Kurosawa, I don't know if we'd mentioned that, all studied under the same guy. Mm. Uh, and then when Honda... Akira Kurosawa? That one, yes. Whoa! The big Kurosawa. <laughs> <laughs> and when Honda was drafted, that is when uh, Oda got promoted to director. He directed his first feature, which was called... A Song of Acuna. There it is. I almost like to imagine that Oda was in the middle of lunch. Someone asking, yeah. do you want to direct the next Godzilla? And he had like a big old piece of rice in his mouth. Yeah, huh? yeah. Oh, yeah I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, I'm available. Yeah, yeah let's do this. <laughs> think of, uh, you know, think of Oda and, and, and Honda and Kurosawa kind of being, you know, in that the same way that Lucas and Spielberg and Justin, who's one of those 70s jerks. Uh, Coppola. There you go, yes. <laughs> yeah, and like, like all, all of them being like, yeah, these film school contemporaries that were students together and then made it up into, into the industry together. Same deal. Yeah. yeah. I mean, different styles. There is something to be said for that sort of workman-like process. Like, you know, be, being an artist is nice, but if you can't get the work out on time, at a certain point, it doesn't matter. And that—that that is where Oda excelled. He, if you needed something done by a deadline, by God, it would show up at that deadline. Well, I don't know if you know he made five films in one year. That's what I heard. <laughs> and, and here's another thing too, though. Like, it's one thing to call someone a hack, but Oda had to be flexible. Oda did all sorts of genres. Like he yeah. did romance, he did comedy, he did crime. Part of why he got this gig was, you know, was his experience like basically shadowing and co-working with with Honda. Mm-hmm. He like assistant directed Eagle of the Pacific, and you know, and he worked on the Japanese version of The Invisible Man, which was a, a Toku film. Yeah, as you all know, Tokusatsu is just a word for special effects. Yeah, so like those are those are the bona fides that like that made uh, that made Mori go. Let's have Oda do it. Yeah. And I think that's the thing about, about Oda's work in this film is that I can say that, like, whereas Honda had a vision that created a unified look of the first film where it does feel like this film of terror and dread and darkness mm-hmm. that led into what needed the movie we, we talked about and loved last episode. Mm-hmm. When the credits rolled for this movie, immediately went, ah, a monster movie. Right. This is a creature feature through and through. Yeah. And, and Oda delivered on what was asked for. All things said and done, he's not an Alan Smithy, though. Like, 47... He directed The Lady from Hell, and The Lady from Hell was co-written by Kurosawa. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not, I'm not knocking on, on Oda's work here, too. It's it's definitely, it is a clear workman journey's director. Yeah. Like, director is visual and shot. Yeah. It looks like someone who definitely got his schedules. He got his, he got it, he shot everything on time and finished it up. Yeah. Especially in the ridiculous five and a half months production yeah. Yeah. for the I'm, entire yeah. film. That's not pre-production. Yeah. That's the whole movie. Considering that's... that the movie is coherent, I think, given the, the tight time frame they were working with, I think that is kind of a remarkable achievement. You know, this movie is a clearly looks of and sounds of a rush production. Yeah. And so a lot of my curving of, of my criticism is like, well, you had five and a half months. Yeah. That's even going to a composer, Masaharu Sato. Mm-hmm. He would go on to do other Godzilla films eventually to even better acclaim. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's even been kind of, he, it's even been said, like Sato actually said, like he was actually unhappy with his work on Godzilla Raids again. Mm-hmm. Apparently there's a 1996 interview, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay, uh, with, uh, that was done by uh, Stuart... Galbraith uh, IV. Galbraith IV, thank you. Yeah. And in, apparently in the interview, he said that like, the score, it's, it's like listening to a kid trying to learn. Yeah. Again, but within the five and a half months of time that everyone had, Sato's score sounds like a creature feature score. Yeah. The only problem of it is generic. 
That's, yeah, I mean, that's what it is. It's generic. It's not nearly as distinctive as the score in the first film, which, the, I mean, the first film is arguably one of the greatest film scores of all time. It's iconic. Yeah. yeah. That being said, we will go to some of these movies later, mm-hmm. but Sato eventually comes with some really great Godzilla scores, and we'll I will actually hold on to we actually get those episodes yeah. to say, this is one of my personal favorite scores. But if you want to say something that's not Godzilla-related, he's also very famously did the score for Yojimba, which is fantastic <laughs> so he got real good yeah. in time you know ultimately he was kurosawa's other primary composer that's the kind of work he did you know yojimbo sanjiro you know Redbeard, which is where he had his falling out with kurosawa but he that's the other thing like you know, it's a funny thing considering how americans american film folks tend to you know put godzilla in a lower tier than kurosawa but like you know yes he, he did these great godzilla scores but yeah he was the guy for the the one filmmaker most americans can rattle off from japan yeah and there's also i mean steve rifle talks about it this in the commentary for the dvd people tend to think of these being as as you know b movies lesser fare but at the time that's not necessarily how they were regarded they were these were like big action spectacles kind of more along the lines of like what we would think of marvel movies today yeah i know that's kind of a similar a silly comparison but like but the blockbusters yeah they're the they were the big blockbusters and also like the way you know acting and the studio system worked there like there's a reason why like half the cast of this movie are Kurosawa regulars is because you had a you know actors were just in all different you'd make five or six movies a year and you were in all different kinds of things. Yeah, like Kira Takarada, right? Yeah, exactly. we kind of we kind of forgot to mention how much yeah like Yamani's actor. Yeah, yeah. like yeah, mm-hmm. like you said, it's like he's like Kurosawa's boy. Yeah, you know, yeah, so Yamani, Samurai, uh, yeah. Kobayashi's in a bunch of uh, Kurosawa's. He's also in Seven Samurai. That's right. That's um, right. One of the convicts in the, the throwaway convict scenes is like a Kurosawa regular. Is he the one who? I think he might. I, I, I think he was the translator for on uh, uh, in, in King Kong versus Godzilla when they meet the the natives. That sounds right to me. I know yeah. he was in King Kong versus Godzilla. Yeah. Also, Emily, uh, let's talk about the writers. So the writers, uh, this we uh, Takeo uh, Murata, uh, help me out, Vic. Takeo Murata uh, and uh, Shigiaki uh, Hidako. Uh, Shigeaki Hidaka. Yes. Hidaka. I just read that wrong. That wasn't me not knowing how to pronounce things. <laughs> that was just me reading the wrong letter. They were the screenwriters behind the first film, and they returned to write this one. There's a lot of things in this movie that kind of set it up to be a franchise in a way that the first film obviously was not. Because mm-hmm. um, it has to. Exactly. Yeah. We have Godzilla fighting another monster. We have Godzilla being left alive at the end. These are like things that, um, you know, they had big ideas. And they even talked about how they originally had in mind a much larger se- sequence of seeing the fallout of a monster attack and seeing like people looting the city and things like that that were cut for time constraints. That would have been fantastic though. The shots of Osaka after the the move the uh the attack do parallel the shots of Tokyo in yeah. in, in, in Godzilla. Yeah. Uh in in some case in the in the American version in some case they really parallel them because they were using archive footage. Oh, well <laughs> oof, yeah. <laughs> um we'll but, get to the mess that Gigantus is when we get to it. Yeah. I think in a lot of ways though that the tight deadline is reflected in the screenplay and that you see you see relics of that ambition in in both good ways, uh, with the creation of Anguirus, which like is obviously a, a a beloved kaiju that would show up in oh, in later films. He's my favorite, L- gentle listener. I need you to know, <laughs> Anguirus is my favorite. He is Robin to to Godzilla's Batman to me. You know, I mean, he gets killed. He, he gets ganked in this movie, <laughs> but eventually, Anguirus number two becomes like becomes Godzilla's uh, his number one his Watson you also see unfortunately though the negative side of the ty- uh, of that ambition in that um the pacing is very odd in this movie 
they like stop halfway through to go to Hokkaido, yeah. and then like the the big climactic battle at the end comes to a screeching halt, so that they, they can go and refuel their jets, which is just like a very yeah. weird decision. That I it, it feels like maybe drafts were merged together, and they didn't really have time to mesh them as well as they could have. Characters are kind of undeveloped, underdeveloped rather. I'll go ahead and say this right now. Um, it was uh, the refreshers talking about the movie, getting ready for the show and reading up. And that we found this, oh, they work at a cannery. Yeah. Like we'd like, oh, me and just like, oh, they're pilots. Right. <laughs> yeah. And you can kind of see too, this is like a weird sort of light. Like it's like Godzilla 54 light. And that like Godzilla 54, we have someone who's like ocean uh, waste management, not waste management, but uh, ocean salvage. Yes. Yeah, yeah, weirdly yeah. getting involved. Like someone who's in a, not a civilian mm-hmm. who yeah. flies planes on the mm-hmm. ocean, getting involved. This mm-hmm. is kind of that same idea, but it's like so thrown away that, it's so thrown away and yet is also theoretically a major plot point of the movie the ups and downs of this fish cannery oh yeah absolutely yeah. well even like kind of like I kind of kept bringing this up a lot with Victor while we're watching after the film we, mm-hmm. you know uh, is like Professor Yami does show the Yamani does show up in the film yes. and, even, and yet his that scene with Yamani is so odd well, it's very obviously an exposition number. Like, how right. do we explain why Godzilla is still here? But it also feels like a first draft of an ex- of that yeah. ex- scene because, like, he just sort of basically the whole purpose is of him being there is like, hey, audience, remember him from the other one? Yeah, we brought him back, but he literally adds nothing to the proceedings. It's he, just no, and yeah. he goes away after that scene. Yeah, yeah, like, and even the 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 file footage, which looks oddly like just scenes from the first movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's like in uh, Indiana Jones in uh, the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. He looks at a picture of his father, Sean Connery. Which is clearly just a, a still st- from Last Crusade. <laughs> the thing about that scene that's so weird is that it's all in silence. Yeah. So there's no music. And even more oddly choice, no one talking over it. Yeah. Even Yamani could have been doing exposition. Yeah. They that- could have just been playing that while he was saying the things he was saying in the earlier scene when he's just playing with a pen. Yep. <laughs> I mean, correct. I, 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 I've heard like I like 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 Rifle and other folks have made the have kind of postulated the idea of it kind of trying to convey the yeah c- convey like the the like the remembered horror and dread of that first mm-hmm. film. But yeah. it's not really executed like that, is it? Though, mm. like, there's not even shots of the the men in the conference looking at the footage with fear and horror. Well, I think that's what you see a lot in this movie is good and uh, good artistic intention that just didn't quite come through because they didn't have time or, right. or whatever. Again, because Godzilla 1954 is so groundbreaking and special and thoughtful, I find even, the chunk of the fan base that even talks about this movie, and there's not a lot that does, it is the one that gets overshadowed because we get, we get to Kong next. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I've watched videos of people trying to make make comparisons to it being the dawn of the Cold War and the monsters both being like Japan being at the mercy of the states and, and, and Russia and like that's a real reach. I hope if you're listening to the show, uh, guy on YouTube, uh, I, I'm not I'm not coming for you. I hope, I hope you don't come for us. I'm coming for you. Fair <laughs> you're so much braver than I. <laughs> I get it though because that first movie is so is so special and so thoughtful. And like, how could it? Your your thought is like, well, I mean, it has to be about something, right? Yeah. There's no taking that. You know, like that is a unique viewpoint, and, and I won't. You know, I, I'm I'm not going to be so so to 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 say that that it's a completely empty calories movie. But I also think I don't think it can be the movie Godzilla uh, 1954 is when it no. talks about that. There's also, I mean, common bread and butter of the of the Godzilla movies is human drama and monster action kind of intersecting. Right. But as Steve Rifle again, this Steve Rifle was a good source on this. That's why we keep bringing him up. Points out the connections there are largely incidental. It is just it is just 
the two stories are happening and they're unrelated. Right. And the human drama in this movie is just really not compelling. No. Um, there's theoretically a love story between uh, Sukiyoka and... Um, Hidemi? Yeah. But it's like, he loves her, but he's not sure if he's worthy. And then he decides he is. It's just like a well, real zero well, conflict. It's, it's like they did it because because we had Ogata and... and, yeah. uh, and uh and Yamane's daughter in the first movie. Yeah, and this, but this is decidedly not a love triangle. Like Kobayashi is there as, as I mentioned, a party boy, um, <laughs> who like you know he's like very jovial and fun, the most charismatic person in this movie, frankly. Sure, agree. Um, and he's you know he's like always he's got this little black book that is like implied to have like a bunch of different women's numbers in it, but it's not like he's not interested in Hidemi. So Ooh. it's like there's no conflict there. It, there's just there's just it's a very flat story even when the reveal before they say they're gonna go to hokkaido yeah. everyone's reaction is like oh man it's a bummer this burned well we'll just go to hokkaido well yeah that's the other thing is like theoretically there's this drama about this struggling fish cannery that that is you know is struggling to make it in a tough economy and then also yeah. has to deal with godzilla wrecking their their fleet but it's as soon as the the the, the incident happened they were like I guess just pack up and move, right? Yeah, yeah, pack up and move. We should be fine. And six yeah. months later, it's snowing. That yeah. scene is, well, a, is especially jarring and like weirdly not fitting because it is it is on the is the aftermath of a major Godzilla attack. Yeah, and it literally is like it might as well end with like an '80s sitcom style freeze frame of them all laughing, like we're going to Hokkaido, which is again completely different from the last film where you yeah. know a mother is telling her children right exactly. before they die, yeah. they will be with their father soon. Yeah, it just <laughs> it just feels like a very like like standard stock plot they're going with. Yeah, yeah. That being said, for these movies to become what they would very shortly become, mm-hmm. I mean, also, I mean, Godzilla can't be that. Like, Godzilla can't be, like, this, this harbinger yeah. of, of utter destruction because, you know, like, even without his eventual face turn, how do you how do you write that every movie? Yeah. yeah. I mean, this also something that I think this movie, I don't know if it was intentional. I think, I think it was maybe... They were trying to set this movie up for a franchise, and then they did it in a different way than they intended, which is they kind of broke it here <laughs> so that they could rebuild it for the next one. Oh, yeah. yeah. By the nature of it being rushed, so quick and rushed, yeah. it, it kind of, while they were trying to figure out what to do to create a franchise, mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. I think I think that's a decent theory. Is that they kind of broke it by accident, which meant that if they are going to try again, it would have to be a big move. Yeah. But... <laughs> but also of... they they sort of know how to do it now because they they theoretically have learned from the mistakes and also like kind of have a framework for like okay what does a Godzilla movie look mm-hmm. like with another monster in it what does it look like when we're trying to set up a sequel they they have all yeah. these frameworks in place which I think was intentional sure so it was just a mixed success yeah, they would I, say. I mean hell I'll even say that like the first movie yeah, the first movie does have you know Yamane say like if we're not careful who's to say we're not going to awaken another Godzilla, which is kind of a metaphorical line, yeah. but it's also taken in a very literal sense in this film. Yeah. Hey, speaking of that new Godzilla, <laughs> in terms of evolution and changing of the of the series and the franchise in this one, we do get a new suit. You bet we get a new suit. So yeah. we, Again, as this movie is, is kind of inventing the idea of a Godzilla franchise, what will become a hallmark of this franchise is those times when they got to rotate in and build a new suit. So, whereas in our first film, we do have Shodai Godzi, which of course means introduction Godzilla, first Godzilla. Our brand new suit is named after this film, as will become the habit every time a new suit has to be built. They will be named after the film that they're in. This is Yakushi Godzi. Mm-hmm. So, Yakushi Godzi was a suit created to the specs of Nakajima. Again, uh, Shodai Godzi was, was nigh impossible to work through. If you, you know, if you remember episode... Uh, our prior episode listener, you do know like what a what a, a, a an endeavor working 
Shota Godzu was. Yeah. Um, so what a prison that suit was. <laughs> 100%. I mean, it informed the character. But again, we're watching a movie where from the get-go, it's like, Godzilla's going to fight a new monster. And that operative word is fight. Yeah. So You need to be able to move to fight. Yeah, 100%. So Gyakushu Godzu was created with that in mind. Rather than that stiff, immobile suit from the first film, Gyakushu Godzu is created with cloth and a layer of latex above it that's fitted to Nakajima. It allowed a range of movement. It was also like, here's, it's a cost-benefit trade-off. You know, it's like playing a, a game that way is that, and that the suit had a slimmer design, which allowed for greater movement. But, you know, on the flip side, like, it's not as, it's nowhere near as imposing a suit as Shodai Godzi. Yeah. As they learn, like, the later suits would get that bulk back. Yeah, but this very first time, it's like, we, we got to get them moving. But, um, you know, it's at, it's at the, because Shodai Godzi, like, just radiates power. And there's a lot of utility with Gyaku Shigodzi. And that being said, it still wasn't a picnic being in Gyaku Shigodzi. The, the, the motor was, uh, there was a motor built into the helmet, mm-hmm. into the head, and it was made for, uh, uh, for, for eye articulation and mouth movement and a battery in the tail. Like these are things that still impeded movement. It made jumping difficult, and you know that physicality would come in. Like, cause yeah. you now he has a reason to jump. Once again, Godzilla is portrayed by Haru Nakajima. Yep, Ingiris is actually played by uh, Katsumi Tetsuka, who we talked a little bit about in our last episode, very briefly. Very yeah. briefly. Not, and I, as I've learned watching making in the in the prep of this episode, realized like, oh, you brought him back to play Ingiris, which yeah. makes sense because. Mm-hmm. They both have experience being in that suit. So yeah. it does make sense to just like get back in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, you know, that's the thing. It's like you don't have to invent the role because since you had two men playing the kaiju the first time, since we got a new, a new kaiju, it stands to reason that, hey, luckily we have someone who's got some experience in this suit. Now, that being said, Godzilla, you know, Godzilla and Engia start as, as, as rivals in this film and uh, that doesn't come from nowhere, does it? No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> um... Who's to say if this was uh, based on real life or just a sort of happy accident, but Tezuka and Nakajima had a bit of a rivalry on set, it sounded like. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about that, Justin, while yep. I pull up the relevant quote that I have? Yes, 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 yes. Okay, so apparently uh, uh, the actors in in, in Godzilla and Ingo's suit reportedly had a rivalry during production. Apparently, this might even stem going even to Godzilla 54 Yeah, as well. there's, a, there's a quote that... Uh, Nakajima said this was in a 1995 interview with Dave Milner. He said that when they were filming the first movie, uh, they both tried on the suit. And then here's where this is a direct quote. This is from Nakajima. I could walk about 30 feet in it, but Mr. Tezuka could only walk about 10 feet in it. <laughs> so there's a lot of, um, you know, <laughs> one of the, well, see, Nakajima is was in his when his 20s when he was making these movies. Uh, Tezuka was in his 40s. So there's yeah. that classic yeah. like oh the y- old- y- young buck versus experienced older actor yeah yeah and i'm sure tetsuka probably wasn't making it easier on the young man at yeah. the time so which that only adds fuel to Godzilla's yeah, belly. This, <laughs> yeah. no this i mean like one of the things that always endeared me to nakajima son in, in his later years was just the pride he talked about Godzilla yeah. and 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 playing Godzilla and being a part of Godzilla was, but I guess it only stands to reason that pride also comes as as a protective pride, isn't it? Because yeah. you know, like he owned the part, and this is one of the few pe- other people. Like, I mean, I'm sure it wasn't like that with you know. I don't think Nakajima was was big manning Kenpachi Satsuma when the you know, the Heisei Godzilla suit actor because it wasn't a direct rivalry, but yeah. like right here, like, like this is these are two men who were in the thick of it. Yeah. And, and you know, like Nakajima wanted to prove that he's got what it takes and owns the Godzilla part. But Tezuka going, you're just a kid. Can you do this? 
Justin, would you like to tell us about what happened in the scene during the <laughs> yeah. when they were fighting in the Osaka ports? Oh man, I actually really do. So, <laughs> okay, so uh, during the fight in the Osaka port, the two actors engaged in a uh, real life fight to make the other inhale water. So here's some quotes from the the same 1990, the same interview from 1995 yeah. from David Milner. Okay, and uh, who's uh, Guy Tucker? Guy Tucker. I'm I I I'm not exactly aware who that is. Dave Milner uh, wrote for a magazine called Cult Movies in the '90s. Guy Tucker, I think, was just another writer for the magazine. There are certain names that you're gonna see as we keep doing these episodes. Uh, especially, basically, the the historians who come before us and the in the generation of G fans before yeah. us yeah. that you're gonna hear a lot of as we go along. Yeah. Our senpai. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, our senpai. Yes. I actually recently had I recently earlier today had email contact with Dave Milner, so I, I, we probably will use him as a source uh, more going on. Because he's pretty accessible, it turns out. <laughs> so thank you again, Dave yeah, uh, Milner, thanks, Dave Milner. For, for confirming some of the information that uh, that yeah. Emily was able to grab. So okay, so in this fight, yeah. in it, uh, Nakajima says in this interview, Mr. Tetsuka, who was the head of the acting division, intended to make me drink the muddy water surrounding Osaka Castle. So I fought him as fiercely as I could. I choreographed the battle, so Mr. Tetsuka had to obey my instructions. I remember thinking this was a good opportunity for me to defeat the boss. Yeah, that's what he says in that interview. And then in the in Steve Reifel's commentary, he does make mention uh, that Nakajima was successfully able to make Tezuka drink the water. He was very proud of that fact. <laughs> yeah. and, I mean, and I mean, so uh, let it, let the record show that uh, suitmation is realer than wrestling. Yeah, uh, and wrestling, of course, is the realest thing in the world because it is the king of sports. Yes, that's <laughs> but, true. Whereas in wrestling, you have a clear delineation of ring general who's who's calling the shots. It sounds like it really is more of a head to head struggle between these two men. It also probably adds to there's a very frantic energy where they they're really wailing on each other. Yeah. Something to bring up actually, you know, as as the films go on and as Godzilla himself gets anthropomorphized, you know, Godzilla starts he he starts doing boxing taunts. He starts yeah. basically doing martial arts in this movie godzilla and angulus fight like animals yeah the yeah. fighting style it's 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 clawing it's biting surprisingly even godzilla doesn't even resort really to to, to his atomic breath until like basically celebrating the kill yeah. yeah he burns the body with the atomic breath but he doesn't really do it in the fight well and one of the thing the, the the thing that we're, we're led to believe is that is that uh, is that apparently the ankylosaurus pre-mutation was the was the the enemy of the godzillasaurus yeah um, that was the idea was that they just hated each other yeah <laughs> so like sure yeah. <laughs> you know? uh, and if we're gonna take just a second to play uh, you know uh, Victor's headcanon corner Go like I it. mentioned <laughs> eventually uh, you know Angulus number two ends up being Godzilla's uh, loyalist sidekick mm -hmm. and I wonder to what degree that is you know kind of flying in the face of the nature nurture uh, rivalry between their two dinosaurian species yeah <laughs> and their two portrayers perhaps yeah. also <laughs> did Godzilla lie to Angulus number two about what happened to Angulus number one <laughs> that's a good question let's talk a bit about actually the filming of these fights the yes. literal fight because that's one of those first things you're going to notice yes. yeah um, it's kind of unlike the majority of the Godzilla fights you'll yeah. end up seeing in the later films especially because the fact that all of this is experimental mm -hmm. even in, in this rushed rushed production yeah. it was experimental and accidents happened so a sense you get from the from reading about the production is that Tsuburaya had 
a lot more freedom on this movie than he did in the first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, they talk about how uh, the miniatures were conducted in a bigger stage and built in a bigger stage, a newly constructed stage at Toho. I mean, Super Rad, well, I mean, that's the thing, though, right? Like, Super Rad proved this metal yeah. by basically inventing Super Nation, showing that he, that he can, you know, how it's done. Of course, he got that latitude. And, like, eventually, in, in due time, he basically becomes the godfather of Tokusatsu and Super Nation. Like, yeah. Yeah. he's the leader in it. Everyone who's done it afterwards has been in his wake. Here's where he's like, Kirby, not only does he do all this stuff working for Toho when he strikes on his own and makes Ultraman and makes that character household name, it further codifies his style yeah. of Kaijuega yeah. and of Suitmation. Let's talk a bit about like kind of what ended up happening and the accident yeah. that actually led into what was kind of revolutionary at the time. Yes. If you, the, our listeners, have watched this movie, you're going to know what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so... As you kind of notice, Godzilla moves a lot faster in this movie, mm-hmm. which is really odd. It does look like a couple wild animals like attacking each other, yeah. like in a nature footage. It really it adds to the the idea of that these are it, it makes them feel less like people in suits, which yeah. I think is successful. Um, and but because so how that kind of ended up happening was that normally in these FX sequences, uh, they they shot with three cameras, mm-hmm. all shooting at the same speed, but apparently by accident, one of the three cameras was mistakenly set at a slower speed. Uh, in terms of filming this, yeah. So because of that, it kind of creates that visual. That this is saw. one of those yeah. counterintuitive things if you do, if you don't yeah. know about cameras. But if when you shoot at a slower slower speed, you then have to speed up the playback. Yeah, right. a little, so a little, yeah, a little bit. Rate. You're gonna mm-hmm. need to know under the hood. That's how we get that look. Is like yeah. you know, shoot fast, play it back at, 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 a, at a certain speed, and it makes them look weighty yeah. and, and 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 you know and and heavy. Right, shoot it's slow, it play be. it back at a faster speed. They they just get very fast. Yeah, yeah. No, then you know it's you, you kids who use TikTok actually might have learned about this. Yeah, that's actually. true. <laughs> and, yeah, and meanwhile, while you kids uh, 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 have learned about this uh, uh, doing TikTok, I, a thirty six year old ancient man, after watching the movie, this looks like scenes from Gilligan's Island. <laughs> So it does create a mild effect of it. It also kind of looks a little bit goofy at times. Yeah, like I made the couple of jokes while watching film. It's just like two guys. Stop it! You hate yourself. Yeah. Stop! Stop! You well, stop it! It's, well, it's, it's, it's very looks, Keystone Cops. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It also it just looks sort of unnatural, which kind of adds to it, depending on on how generous you're willing to be, can add or take away from it. It's fair. Okay. So the funny thing about this, obviously, Super I did actually like the result, and so that became kind of a traditional. Way of what if, I don't sequences. know if we actually officially said this, but one of the cameramen accidentally left the camera yeah, at the yeah. low speed. Yeah, basically three happened. three cameras, two of them filmed properly and gave you that nice ponderous uh, ponderous weight you wanted. Mm-hmm. And camera number three made them look like they needed to play Bill Yakety Sax. So, yeah. be- so judging on the on the on the information that was available, it's either one of these two guys. Yeah, um, we've so, narrowed it down to one of two people. <laughs> so it's either uh, the camera is either named Yochi uh, Yuichi Manoda. Yoichi Manoda. Manoda, or Koichi Takano. So, either one of these two are, yeah. is to blame and to be thanked. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, actually, it's funny, uh, in, in uh, Rifle's uh, uh, DVD commentary, he can't just, he blames it on a rookie. He, basically, they say, like, Subaru had, had one of the assistants who was, who was kind of a rookie and didn't really call out anyone specifically, but here's your here are your suspects now, you know, like Kaiju Ega historians. And well, as, as, as Ed could say that name for me. Which name? Ed. Oh, Ed Godzicheski. Godzicheski, as he points out, a lot of the people working on this movie were veterans of the first Godzilla, but they still hadn't been working for Toho for even six months. So you really, you really get the clue that this is like this is very much a ragtag crew. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing, right? We we've said this 
several times in, in several, it's a rushed mm. film. It, it shows. Let's not. I mean, yeah, the idea of this podcast is to say how these Godzilla movies got made, and unfortunately for most of them, it, there's one answer for this one. It's they had five months quickly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the answer is quickly. Yeah, the answer is quickly. But like, like even we pointed out that like take that into consideration the fact that the film is watchable at all. Yeah. Uh, the only thing that hurts it is that you're comparing it to legitimately the far greater film. Well, I mean, yeah. here's here's where you are again, right? Like you uh, you watch Rocky one, and you're yeah. watching a film that is like legitimately art, mm-hmm. and you watch Rocky two, and it's a little bit less so. And by the time you get to Rocky four, it's a cartoon, and it's kind of like we stuck the brick on the accelerator and we just straight jumped up to Rocky four. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, as I was watching this, I might I. I I had a thought like oh I get big big Jaws two energy from this movie oh yeah oh, sure. which yeah, Jaws sure. two is a solid shark movie right. it's not like ridiculous and bad like three and four yeah but it's solid it's just not Jaws one and right very much the same energy here oh, that's kind of interesting that's actually the best example that's a great comparison because it's it's one of those things where it's very clearly what made one movie great yeah and then immediately you see the follow up and you go. So why this is fine? Yeah. Why is this not as great as the other one, which makes you re-examine and even reappreciate more mm-hmm. the other one? Yeah. Well, just I mean, I mean, of course, you know, as films, we're always talking about in the film context, but I mean, you know, we're also seasoned comic book fans, and yeah. something that specifically me and Justin talk about all the time is sometimes you're the writer between the two iconic runs. Yeah. You know, sometimes you're the one who has to be writing, uh, who has to be writing. Um, you know, Daredevil after uh, Born Again, and 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 you know that or or more like actually that's not because Enosianti is amazing. Uh, I think maybe more to the point, like may, sometimes you're Tom DeFalco right after Simonson does Thor. Sure. And, oh and yeah. That's because no, that's that's more apt because Simonson's Thor is better than Lee Kirby. And Tom DeFalco Thor is the textbook definition of journeyman Thor. That's some that's some eighties nineties comic book uh, talk there for, for folks of you who have a yeah. There's a good twenty five percent of you who's like you, the light bulbs going off your head. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and that's the thing. Like like Godzilla, uh, you know, Godzilla nineteen fifty four is watershed. But then Godzilla King Kong versus Godzilla. That's the movie you want once you get to like versus movies. That's the movie that turns Godzilla into the icon. Um, Save it for next month. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I will leave it there, but that, but you know, in a, in a, but yeah, in a sense, Godzilla, King Kong versus Godzilla is the movie you want Godzilla to be. But you know, Godzilla raids again is the movie that that says, "How do we keep doing this?" Yeah. yeah. So it does serve a per- important place in the the film canon. Yeah. But just it's gonna pale. We're we're going a little long here, but I did want to talk very briefly about this film's journey to American theaters. Oh, certainly. Because it's a wild ride. <laughs> so originally a group of producers who had brought who had done King of the Monsters in America wanted to do that again basically and they wanted to go even further they wanted to shoot more new footage basically turn it into a whole new film uh, so they hired a couple writers they they got a copy of the movie they watched it on a movieola and they took notes of the scenes they wanted to use and they wrote an entire new screenplay uh for the the scenes they didn't want to use as as uh the specter that chases me and justin in our personal brands oh, you mean power rangers that's the one <laughs> yeah uh, in a lot of ways what was potentially to happen to yeah. godzilla raids again is basically literally what ended up happening to to uh, super sentai when it got put through the gristle because they were gonna take this movie and get rid of all the Japanese people and replace it with white folks precisely yep. <laughs> that's right. uh, absolutely they're, they're, the like, exact plan <laughs> every, yeah no um uh yeah no uh, uh tsukioka and uh tsukioka and uh, kobayashi if you do like them 
Well, too bad because they were about to be a bunch of white dudes from San Francisco, and that's a fact. Yeah, they they went so far as saying that they wanted they didn't want people to know it was a Japanese movie. That yeah. sounds right. Yeah. Well, and they, they they you know like they like Godzilla and Angulus weren't even going to be Godzilla and Angulus. That will feed into what it actually ends up becoming. But even at that point, there's like, oh, it's a T Rex and an Ankylosaur. And so, the way they justified it was like, oh, this is a female T Rex, and that's why it looks different from what you recognize as a classic T Rex. Wow. From the dinosaur wow. book, which yes, just came oh. out because T Rex was gonna because because the T Rex who isn't Godzilla was gonna lay uh, was gonna lay their eggs. Yes, in Alaska. Yeah. Uh, no, exactly. That's how that works. <laughs> Reptiles famously need cold environments to lay their eggs. Yes. Yeah. This. So this. This iteration. This. It almost happened. Movie was called the Volcano Monsters, mm-hmm. and it even got far along enough that new builds of Godzilla and Angurus were made for this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. And the tell, uh, gentle nerd, is that uh, the Volcano Monster uh, uh, Godzilla suit is the first suit to have three toes, which would become standard eventually. But the real Gyakusha Godzi has four, much like Shodai Godzi. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the the company that was going to make this just stopped existing, <laughs> and so the movie fell through. Yeah, Harry Rebnick and Edward Barrison's company. Yeah, you can call uh, those guys goes those guys out. Call <laughs> them out, bit get them. <laughs> so then the film the rights were scooped up by another American producer uh, whose name I neglected to write down. Mm-hmm. But you know what? That's okay because what this guy loved to do was change people's names. Yeah. <laughs> let's 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 quickly take a moment also to to do a little bit of gentle debunking because apparently this still needs to be debunked. Mm-hmm. People for the longest time had thought that he's called Gigantus in this movie because of of a rights issue. No, same rights holders, but... But, for some reason, uh, with both attempts at making the American movie, they really didn't want it to be thought of as a sequel to Godzilla. They thought it would confuse the audiences, so they chose a maneuver that confused audiences. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So they renamed Godzilla Gigantus to avoid confusion with the earlier film Godzilla, but kept the scenes where they showed footage from Godzilla and had the guy say, hey, this is the monster that showed up a few years ago when Godzilla attacked us all. My right eye is yeah. twitching yeah. real when bad When Professor right Yamani now. shows up, it is it is those scenes of devastation, but yeah. we have to... Yeah, well, I mean, Gigantus the Fire Monster is a damn mess. Godzilla King of the Monsters is still not the way you should watch Godzilla the first time. Yeah. Now that we have the privilege of getting to watch the original Godzilla, that's the way you should. But... Raymond Burr's version of Godzilla King of the Monsters is surprisingly watchable and crafted. You know, Gigantus the Fire Monster is not. It's a mess. They also frequently, they the names got, uh, sorry, I almost said Godzilla because guess what? It's confusing to have that monster be called Gigantus. <laughs> no, again. The names, the names got Gigantus and Angurus are just used interchangeably for both monsters throughout the film. Their voices are used interchangeably. <laughs> yep. They decided Godzilla was too quiet in this movie, so they decided to put in some more roars, but someone didn't know what a Screonk sounded like. Yeah. So suddenly you hear Angulus's roars over Godzilla. There was also a lot of Gigantus. Biz- yes. There was a lot of bizarre attempts to say English words that they thought would match the the lip reads oh, of I know the what Japanese you're talking words. About. It's my Lip-flapping. favorite. I know what you're gonna say. Please say it. I love this. Go. <laughs> so, which is why in one scene, in order to state uh, his Bakero. disbelief, yes. uh, <laughs> no, he calls him at some point. Uh, someone's called called an idiot, which, as yeah. you weebs know out there, baka bakero. Yeah. Uh, Lip and- flaps. In in the in Gigantus, that line is changed to banana oil, which is old flapper slang for uh, for BS. Which I, I I don't know if I ever told either of you this, but I do want to keep this show family friendly, so I'm just gonna say BS. That's I love the idea that someone pitched that, and the entire room looked at each other and went, "What? 
Yeah. No, banana oil. Uh, George Takei, who uh, re- who worked on, on the American dub, recalls that everyone in the room was laughing during the banana oil line. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it happens that, again. That yeah. comforts me so much. <laughs> yeah. And, hey, and let, let's also, let, now that you mentioned George Takei, here's the thing. If, again, if you're if you're an old entertainment fan, George Takei and Key Luke were both, uh, both did voices for this dub. And hey, look at that, Scarlett Johansson. At least it's a pair of Asians. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can't say that for every character in this film. Uh, as I understand it, Kobayashi sounds like Yogi freaking bear in this movie. That sounds right, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's me. It's your buddy Kobayashi. Yeah, Kobayashi. Party boy? Party boy. Party famous Kobayashi. party boy Kobayashi, who is such a, the, a fun, charming character in the original, is just like, Duh, what's that monster in this version? <laughs> it's, it is ridiculous what they what they did to Kobayashi. Everyone's yeah, no, everyone's fave big Kobayashi gets turned into a dope. Um actually Which I guess I mean people like dopes. I guess maybe that was their yeah. a, a weird attempt to, Homer to yeah. I like a Hammer I like it's like a Hanna Barbera dope. That's yeah. the approach they did with Kobayashi. Yeah. I guess it wasn't documented well enough, but there is a theory that uh Hidemi and the other female uh, character in the movie were they theorize to have been dubbed by Japanese American actors because they do pronounce Tsukioka and Kobayashi correctly all the time. Steve Reifel pointed that out in the in the commentary. Yeah. Go. So yeah, that's Gigantus. Do we A have big big log? Yeah. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> do we have any more thoughts we want to say about Godzilla Rates again, or Godzilla's Counterattack, or Godzilla's Revenge, or Godzilla's Return of Return, Godzilla, or Godzilla the Sea Monster? <laughs> I, 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 I just to kind of wrap it up for me, it's mm-hmm. like it is, as, as Vic pointed out, a very important step to getting us to the Godzilla we know. If you want to see the evolution of the character and in the franchise, it's an important movie to have. It's mm-hmm. important movie to, to at least try it once. Yeah. Yeah. It's a movie that will answer the question of what happens next. Yeah. It's, you know, like, you know, let, let's be frank. I mean, I'll, I'll even. I'll be harsh enough to say that you could probably save if you were watching instead of doing it strictly chronologically like the three of us are doing if you're just going to go to the hits you could probably get away with going from Godzilla to, to King Kong versus Godzilla you're not really losing anything mm-hmm. but on the flip side I do think you're doing yourself a disservice by not seeing how you answer that question what comes next and it's always valuable finding out where it comes from Yeah. and on a completely personal level like I said Angulus is my favorite monster who's not Godzilla and seeing where he comes from is did, did kind of bring bring some joy to my heart to see to see Mark One Angulus in this movie. That's nice. Yeah, I would say this movie is uh, maybe not good in a technical sense, <laughs> but I, I I think the personality of of Godzilla, the monster and Godzilla franchise, shines through a lot in certain places. I think Subaraya's work really shines here. I I, I kind of view this as like just a fluid continuation of his experiments with special effects from the first movie, which I think I didn't mention this during the rest of the episode, but the composite work in this movie is spectacular as oh, it was in the first movie. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy to see the return of the puppets. Yeah. The puppets are good. At oh, yes. There are. Yeah. There is some, uh, when, when they're not uh, herky jerking around, a lot of the close-ups are the puppets and, and yeah. the mist as the atomic, uh, as the atomic breath technique comes back. So yeah. enjoy that while you can. The, the, a very toothy puppet as well in this one. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Noticeably more toothy than the, than the regular model and then the previous film and i i don't know about y'all personally but i like a toothy godzilla i like to see some real <laughs> jagged sharp things jutting out of there yeah, we're, we're gonna well, I'm, I'm sure there's some some bonus content to be had about the quality of godzilla and godzilla teeth yeah um <laughs> well no like, you know like you know like the the, the model work is top notch like 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 osaka castle yeah is still like yeah it's, I, yeah, it, it's 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 amazing and even even the technique of having it collapse they they built it three-sided. They installed wires so that the crew could pull it at certain times to have it co- collapse correctly. You know, again, like the art's still there. I think the thing is, like, 
like yeah, I guess you can definitely say that Eiji Tsuburaya is the uh, is the the MVP of this movie. I would agree. Uh, it's also observed that the father in this movie, that Hidemi's dad, looks like yeah. in that hat is the spitting image. Yeah, that uh, hat, uh, those of, glasses. Eiji Tsuburaya. <laughs> um, oh, <yeah. laughs> it's also worth noting they built that castle twice because it did not fall down the first time, uh, even with the weight of both actors pushing into it and the the crew pulling on wires, it didn't fall down. Tsuburaya yelled, "Cut!" They didn't hear it, so they kept pulling, even though the camera shut off, and down went the castle. They had to rebuild it. Um, <laughs> five months. They still got it done, though. Wow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I th- this movie to me is like a it's like a fun, solid B-side yeah. to Godzilla. It's yeah. the B-movie that you think that an outsider thinks Godzilla of 1954 is. Yeah. When you think you like again, like, like God, Godzilla in 1954 is is unlike anything you expect it to be, mm-hmm. and Godzilla raids again is precisely what you assume it is. Exactly. Still better than them. <laughs> yeah. All right, and that wraps us up for this episode. Please join us next month while we were talk about. I always want to say I always get. I always get unconfident if it's Godzilla versus King Kong or King Kong versus Godzilla. I'm going to leave that to you, Victor. Even oh. I'm double-checking on that. Goodness. Like, I- <laughs> oh, wait. All right. All right I, can, I, can, I can do this. <laughs> Justin is checking for us. It is, in fact, next month, the real crossover event of the century. Yes. King Kong versus Godzilla. We'll see you next month. Go Go Godzilla is a production of the Benview Network. You can find this and other podcasts like it at BenviewNetwork.com. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at GoGoGodzillaPod. And you can email us at GoGoGodzillaPod at gmail.com. You can find me personally at VeryCoolEmily everywhere you search on the internet. You can find me on Twitter at VicPerfecto. You can find me on Twitter at JustKizan, Instagram at JustKizan. I also co-host the uh, Nothing New podcast with Andrew Lindy on the same network. And also uh, you can check out my uh, interviews on ScreenRant.com.